Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads. I'm Meg Fora, occupational therapist with a very special interest in new babies. And right the way from birth through until three or four years old, I have a real passion for helping parents to navigate all of those tricky parts. So whether it's getting your baby to sleep through the night or dealing with developmental delay or dealing with a really grumpy, colicky little baby, or just simply looking at feeding. And each of these areas are very big when they are part and parcel of your life and one of the challenges you're facing. And so each week, I have a look at one of these areas. And as we are joined most weeks, we're joined actually by Cassidy, who is a mum, first-time mum to little Max. And Max is at this stage 25 weeks old. So we've been tracking Max all the way from the get-go. And if you missed those early episodes, please do go and check them out. We started right from the first week that he was born. We talked about him being in the neonates and we've gone all the way through the journey with him, sometimes with sleep issues, sometimes sleeping really well, sometimes with feeding issues. And then there's also the health and development that comes in as well. So we really do cover off everything each week with Cassidy and Max. And what we try and do is we try and look at some of the highs and lows. And as Cass brings them up, I start to kind of debunk them and demystify and just add a little bit of wisdom. And I hope that you will find it as helpful as I think Cass does. So Cass, it's always wonderful to have you. So special to have charted the journey all the way through with Max. And we're almost halfway there through the first year because he's 25 weeks old. I know it's absolutely crazy. I was thinking about it because I remember when we first started doing these, I thought, wow, 52 weeks every week, especially when, you know, I said, that's going to be a lot. That seems so far away that we'll be doing the last one. And then the other day I thought, my God, we're halfway through doing it. It's gone so quickly. I know it's gone way too quickly. And, you know, Cass, when I was talking and thinking about everything we've been through, I mean, he has gone through, first of all, some really serious neonatal issues initially, we thought. And then obviously he has had absolutely no repercussions from that, which is incredible. And then he's gone through sections where he would just not feed and he stopped gaining weight. And in fact, his weight started to drop and and Mm. there was some concerns around that. He's also gone through stages where he wouldn't self-soothe and he was needing a huge amount of help to be able to settle to sleep. So we've kind of been through the full gambit. So what is this week held for us? (laughs) I mean, I I think you've mentioned as you were talking through all the things that you do, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to talk about that. I need to talk about that. <laughs> but very exciting moments this week. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago he was sitting for three seconds. He is now sitting. Oh, so it's amazing. I was getting stuff ready and outside the other day, and he was just sitting in the boot of the car, kind of watching me, and he's just properly sitting now. Okay. And we had a teddy bear's picnic in the garden. Oh, and it's very precious. It's yeah. yeah, it's really lovely. Well, it's such an amazing milestone sitting, and it's a milestone that parents hang on there for because they it's, it's really the milestone when little ones are, start to have a little bit of independence because you can plonk them down on the floor and they've got their hands free 
free to be able to do mm. what humans do, which is be dexterous. And I think that's why it's such a, a shift. A couple of interesting things about it. It classically happens at six months. So he was maybe a week or two early. What's interesting about it is that it is our most, other than smiling, it's the milestone that happens pretty much for most kids on exactly six months. And it's really interesting because rolling is a very wide range. I mean, you can roll anywhere from kind of three and a half months all the way through to six months for the first time. Walking is incredibly variable. I mean, it can start at six, at nine months and go all the way through to 18 months. And all of that is typical development. You know, it's there's no delays there. Whereas with sitting, it really happens at six months and maybe a week or two before, maybe a week or two after. And one of the reasons that it's so universal is that it's actually our easiest milestone. So while it's the one that parents think, oh my goodness, I can't wait for this to happen. And it's such a big thing. Like you've, like, you know, it frees you up, but it's actually the easiest milestone. And that's because it requires very little other than kind of a little bit of balance, obviously, and some protective reactions, but it doesn't require complex coordination of muscles, whereas rolling and crawling in particular, but even walking, but those two in particular are hugely complicated and that's why they're so variable. So he's done it. He's done it spot on and you're going to find that for the next three months, you're going to have the best time because you can be hands-free and he's not moving yet. So enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) He's already trying. (laughs) He is already, when he's on his tummy, he goes into kind of like a teepee shape his bum goes up in the air and he's sort of in this triangle so he's definitely I mean he he, my husband and I were actually laughing this morning we were saying it's every time it's like he masters one thing and then he's just like right I'm now on to the I need to do the next thing and he's yeah. getting really frustrated yeah. but no it is lovely and this morning I had him sitting on the floor and I put a, our colander and some wooden spoons and his lovely. egg boys and he was sort of mixing around and with the colander and the wooden spoons and his eggs and things um, like that and you know just as you say it allows him to do so many different yeah. things so yeah now I can give him different things that are more interesting for him because I don't want to buy new toys, but I can see he is getting a bit bored with toys he's had for a long time. So now that he can sit, it opens up a whole Whole new world. world. So yeah, it is. It's a great milestone. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And the other exciting thing, I mean, he's a very busy time is his first tooth has come through. So So you said to me last time that he was pretty much getting there. You could, I think you could see it almost. And now it's through it. Did he go top or bottom? He's gone bottom. His okay. bottom right tooth has gone okay. through. Yeah. Excellent. So that's typically the way that little ones teeth actually bottom teeth first, but you do get little ones who can do a top and sizer first, crazy things, but that's spot on. So he's doing it by the textbook this week. Yeah. They're really sharp. I got quite a shock because he, I mean, we've been really lucky. He hasn't, it hasn't really affected his nights, mm. but he, on the Sunday night, he woke up at kind of 1130 and was really upset, which was very unlike him. And I knew he'd been teething. So I gave him a bit of cowpole. He resettled and was fine, then did his 2.30 a.m. feed and went through to the morning. And then the, I just sort of thought, I'll just see how those teeth are getting on. And suddenly I felt it. And I said to my husband, I was like, I think I've worked out why he woke up screaming <laughs> yeah. at 11.30. This like saber tooth was coming yeah. through. <laughs> it, they're really sharp. They are, they are. And then they grind them down a little bit so they become less sharp. But yes, you can actually understand why they do cause a bit of discomfort. And as we discussed last week, they can actually go off their food. So if anybody missed last week, it was actually two weeks ago's conversation around teething, go back and have a listen because we go through like how to know whether they're teething and what to expect. 
Well, and it's interesting you say that because actually the food thing, it's becoming a bit of a... And the only thing we've ever had with Max where he's been a little bit tricky is feeding, Mm -hmm. where he's just, you know, I don't want to do that. And you mentioned in your introduction, you know, how that can be quite a stressful Mm -hmm. thing. And we have overcome it with the milk. So actually in the last week, he has been so hungry for his milk and Mm. he is now shoving the bottle into his own mouth and you can't get it in there quick enough and he's getting really as soon as he sees the bottle you know oh my Mm. goodness give it to me he's crying when the bottle's over and he's getting about eight ounces but if you try and put a spoon Mm. near his mouth he are just going absolutely Mm. nope I am not having it doesn't seem to matter what it is Mm. he is better if with self-feeding. So he doesn't, he quite likes putting the own spoon, but it's almost like when he realizes that there's food on that spoon, he then is sort of like, oh no, I'm not interested in that. And he can spit it out sometimes. There's a lot of drool that comes as soon as he has food in his mouth. And it seems to anything that was in there <laughs> quite often will dribble out. So it's just, it's actually not been the most- Smooth. Yeah. wonderful weaning journey that I was hoping for. <laughs> yes. No, there'll always be something that's sent to challenge us. I think everybody yeah. has it differently. But let's just talk about this going off food now, because there's kind of three little things that I want to think about. The first one is that sometimes if little ones, and I'm not saying that this is the case with him, but sometimes if little ones are having too much milk, they then actually go off their solids. And what happens after six months where he's moving towards is he's actually going to go towards only four milk feeds in 24 hours. So between between about around about six and a half, seven months, he'll go into into four milk, milk feeds. So he'll actually go off his milk kind of mid-morning or mid-afternoon. And then he'll end up having a morning, early morning waking, either mid-morning or mid-afternoon, and then evening, and then that one extra feed in the middle of the night. So the problem is that if he has more than that, so if he's having more than his kind of five full bottles, which is what he's having now, or has very full five full bottles, he actually won't have the appetite for solid. So that's the first thing is that we sometimes because they're not eating solids well, we start to offer a little bit more milk, but mm. then actually that then takes away the appetite for the solids. And so we get into this vicious cycle. So it's not happening for him yet, I don't think, but it's just something to keep in mind that you don't want that reliance on milk to come through. The second thing that happens at around about this age is that they start to really choose to eat according to their sensory personality. And he's a settled baby and a social butterfly. And that means you do need to up the flavor now and the variety and the color and the texture. So our social butterflies prefer interesting things. They don't like the mundane. They don't like the same. So if he had started on, let's say, zucchini, that becomes boring. So now we have to flavor it up. We need to put some herbs and spices with it. We need to put some cheese sauce with it. We need to make it more interesting. And that's one of the things that we do in the Weaning Sense book and even in the app as well, as we look at really more flavorful foods. So my second piece of advice would, would be to actually be a little bit more experimental with his flavors now. So literally, if you and Alex are having lasagna for dinner, you can actually literally take that lasagna as it is, as long as you haven't salted it. The only exception is salt. So try not to salt your adult food now and, and salt it mm-hmm. when it's on your plate. But as long as you haven't salted it, you can actually take that that lasagna with its complex flavors, its white sauce, its oregano, whatever it is, you know, the, the stronger flavors and actually put it through a mouli or through, a, you know, with a stick blender or whatever it is. And you can offer that to him. And I think you should try that because at this age now, he should be on all allergens. He shouldn't still 
be requiring new, new allergens. So he should have had egg, fish, and nuts because mm-hmm. that's allergy preventing. So we do want him to have those. And if he hasn't, um, you need to move on it before six months and then start to try, try him on that. So that's the second thing I would recommend. So watch the milk, increase the flavor. And then the third one, you've hit the nail on the head, which is many babies skip the mushed food stage and go straight to self-feeding. So those babies do great on purees right in the beginning. And then when you start to move them onto a more textured puree and onto more of a mush, they actually don't like it. And they actually want to then start to self-feed. And that's where the two bowl approach comes in, which I can share with you if that's um, something that you, you know, he's moving on to finger foods. Yeah. So interestingly, on the second one with varying it, I mean, he has very rarely ever had exactly the same every single. Is I think maybe had each flavor combo once or twice. I've got all sorts of different vegetables in the freezer, and I mix up the combinations. I've also he's had. I mean, he's had mint pea and salmon, which is a recipe from the app. <laughs> yes. All, you know, he's had chicken and green beans. He's had all sorts of d- lovely things. His porridges in the morning. I didn't even know you could do the things I'm now creating with porridge. <laughs> Brilliant. Morning, Give us an had, example. This morning he had very exotic coconut and banana porridge he's had pear and coconut Good. he's had my goodness what else has he had he's had a combination of oats he's had sometimes he had rice porridge i mean i have tried all sorts of different combos and how it does how does he do on that porridge because he's having his milk very late okay so actually <laughs> this has also changed we've had our first and it didn't happen it's i mean it's happened one night and then the next night it didn't happen but we had a night where Max didn't need a feed at all in the night. Wow, that's amazing. He woke up at around half 11, quarter to 12, and was a bit sort of restless. And I gave him a little bit of a cuddle and his teeth, he sort of was really sucking his hands. So I gave him some cow pole. He fell asleep again very quickly. And that was it. We didn't hear from him again until 6.15. Wow. So I never did the feed. I barely slept because I kept waking up being like, any minute now, <laughs> he's going to need a feed. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, so, but I was also so excited. Yeah. I thought, wow. But I also knew that that was going to be a one-off. Yeah. But of course, what that meant was in the morning, he, he was, hungry. was ready for his feed first thing. So that was really interesting nice. because mm-hmm. he did a 6.30 feed mm-hmm. and then I gave him, went to go and give him his porridge at about quarter past seven in time for him to have that and then go down a little mm-hmm. bit later, about eight o'clock for his sleep. It didn't seem to make any difference. He, to how he ate the porridge. Yeah. And I had bits of pear. He sort of put them in his mouth and then just threw them <laughs> off mm-hmm. the edge of the high chair. And he was interested by them, but not not as food Mm. more as a what is this Mm. thing experimentation yeah as I mentioned with the spoon he's just as soon as the spoon comes anywhere near he's not so keen unless it's got teething granules on it then he cannot I don't know what it's a white powder that he can't get enough of it's very concerning (laughs) I don't know what actually teething granules are but he can't he's sucking on the spoon he's trying to get as much of it off that Mm. is the only thing this morning he did open his mouth and take two spoonfuls of porridge, which was huge. And mm. I was overjoyed. But that's kind of, that's a really exciting moment for us. This episode is brought to us by Parent Sense. 
the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. So I think, look, I mean, a a couple of things. I think take the pressure off you and him. If he only has two spoonfuls, leave it. Remember that until six months, Mm. milk is the priority. So we don't want to cut back on milk. And he's having the right amount of milk. So keep going with that. He's also not losing weight, which is always important. You know, he's he's a well-covered little boy. He's in the 75th percentile. So he's he's doing well in that respect. So yeah, I mean, I would just offer him a little bit more variety, you know, a little bit different flavors and always offer the two-bowl approach. So the two-bowl approach, which, um, I usually start when they're about six and a half months. So he's a little early on this one, but it can work. And, and it certainly it's, it follows the kind of baby led weaning philosophy. So what you do there is you give him whole steamed food of whatever you've got. I know you mentioned just now you give him pear. I presume that's not hard pear. That's a steamed pear. Is that correct? Yeah. And also like the other day we were having a roast and he had a bit of broccoli that he Perfect. was sucking on. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that's perfect. So the only things you don't want to give him are whole nuts, obviously, and then any of your fruits like pear and apple that are hard, you really want to be careful with those. So rather grate those. So those need mm-hmm. to be grated so that they, they're smaller. But I would start giving him his own bowl. And a nice idea is to actually replicate what's in what's in the other bowls. So for instance, if you are feeding him, and I know that you've cooked up a whole lot of meals already. So I would suggest, and because you've got all those ice cubes, keep those for your bowl. And then give him whatever you and Alex are going to have. So yeah, that steamed broccoli is a great idea, you know, and then put a little little bowl of hummus next to it so that he can actually dip the broccoli in the hummus and just lick the hummus off instead of, you know, having to eat the whole broccoli. So allowing him to experiment a little bit more and being a little bit more less pressurized around mealtimes is a good mm-hmm. idea because he, he is well covered. You don't need to worry. And he's sleeping well as well. What you'll probably find with Max is that he is going to drop will need to drop to four feeds in a day before his appetite comes up again. And that could happen between six and a half and seven and a half months that he'll actually drop a feed altogether. And usually it's one of the day feeds. So what will typically happen next is he'll go... 6.30 6.30 or in his case, I know it's 7.30 or 8 for his morning, miss his morning bottle altogether and have a snack at that time and then have an afternoon bottle at 2 because he'll become fussy on those bottles. He just won't want them. And then the evening bottle and then the one in the morning will move to like 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. And that's what you can then expect for a couple of weeks. And then we'll, we'll move out that early morning feed altogether with some water if it needs be. Okay, because he'll be having breakfast. Instead, yeah, and remember special. everything swings then because if he wakes up at and he, if he wakes up and has his bottle, it's at three in the morning. You're not going to wait until seven thirty for that milk because the priority is solids. And so mm. what will change then is that you'll offer him some milk when he wakes up at six, but if he rejects it, you'll actually give him the solids in place. And so that's how milk just very naturally starts to decrease until by the time he's a year, which is only six months away, he'll be having only 300 mils of milk in a day altogether. It's a lot less. It's about less than half of what he's having now. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I have been looking forward to weaning 
for such a long time <laughs> and it's just he, he, yeah he just doesn't it's like he's not interested in it and I yeah. read about social butterflies you know change the environment so we've checked we've I've tried him outside mm-hmm. I've tried but then he's just too distracted yeah today he has he had his lunch in a wigwam in um, a local manor house garden that mm-hmm. his nanny has taken him to and you know he was very distracted so he wasn't he, he didn't do so well but he had a little yeah. bit what yeah. he does love and is a great thing for teething is one of the I stick a frozen berry into one of those teething mm-hmm. sort of sucky things yes. and he sucks on uh, his straw frozen strawberry or something like that and he absolutely loves that okay excellent so just with that with we that would constitute a snack because it's got fruit juice in it so just limit how because if you're having too many of those that can also th- ruin the appetite so make sure that those are happening kind of mid-morning mid-afternoon or after a meal so that they yeah. You know they are having as well. Yeah, yeah. They're like his put. He's allowed yeah. one a day uh, for a pudding at lunch. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <laughs> Good. So, Cass, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is how's it been for you? Because I mean that transition to motherhood, and you have seemingly taken it in your stride. Although I think for many moms, what goes on behind closed doors is not what everybody sees and hears. I certainly, for one, found the transition to motherhood really, really, especially with my firstborn, really tough. It was like I just wanted to do everything right, and James did things differently and you know and it it stressed me a lot I don't know have you had moments where you've kind of gone through periods of a little bit of of stress and and so on yeah definitely and actually a really interesting article came out the other day from somebody who's a mom and she had basically written exactly what I had been thinking there had been a moment I'd gone around to my mum's the other day and I just said I found myself just saying to her I just don't know if I actually I'm a good mum. I don't know if I am cut out to be a mum. And mm. just because all my life I've wanted to be a mum. And, you know, when I was a little girl and growing up, and I've I've known that I've always had this wonder of how am I going to do the career thing? Because I've also wanted to have my own business and do that side of things, but I've always wanted to be a mum. And mm. and I think it was it's been quite a shock to me how it hasn't necessarily come as naturally as I thought it would, you know, when he is crying or fussing, especially with the feeding, when we've had struggles around feeding, you know, I found that really difficult. And I've just thought, you know, I think there are people who deal with this better. I'm not dealing with Mm. this very well. I can deal with a high stress situation in a business world, but put me here and I'm not coping with it. And every morning I wake up and I say to myself, I am not going to have any wine (laughs) today. (laughs) And then it gets to about 4.30 and I'm like, oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Cannot wait till this evening when I can just have that glass of wine. And I said to my mom, I just don't know if that's that's how it should be. And it's really, it's so much harder Mm. than I think I ever anticipated. And the days that I am out working are much easier days than the days I am being a mum for the full day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's, you just, you could say that till you're blue in the face until you're experiencing it mm. and understanding there is no harder job. I, yeah. I, I don't think. Yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent with you and, and found it exactly the same. I think that in some ways, look, I mean, I know that when you're a career mum, 
it, uh, well, a career woman as well as a mum, a working mum, the juggle is different and the juggle is hard and the guilt is there. So there's there's a combination of other factors, you know, that, that you don't have the full capacity to deal with sleep deprivation because you've got to get up and work. You might, might have more frustrations in some respects, but at the same time that having that respite of actually being away from them right. is, is actually, it, it's important and, and, and we kind of, we kind of cling on to it and that doesn't make us bad or good moms. It just is the way that it is. I think one of the things that you said, which really stuck with me is that you you always wanted to do it really well. And I mean, I know that I'm a bit of an A-type personality and I really wanted to do my mothering perfectly because this was my new role in life. And actually what's quite interesting is that there's very good research that shows that when you do things so-called perfectly, in other words, you know, everything goes according to plan, it's not really good for little ones. And little ones actually are supposed to have moms who are simply good enough, not perfect. Mm. And there's this phrase that is the good enough mother. And the good enough mothers actually can fail up to 75% of the time. And if you just get it right 25% of the time and kind of repair, they call, call about repairing frustrations or repairing, it actually is absolutely fine for little ones. So I suppose part of it is giving ourselves a break and recognizing that it's just been good enough. But there is another part that is just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, there were other aspects that I found that was like the loneliness and the drudgery, like, yeah. like there's nobody who tells you you're doing really well and you keep changing nappies yeah. and making food and you're tired and, and then they don't want what you, where you've put them or you, you they just, it's just unrelenting and, and it's lonely. And so I think, you know, I mean, I used, I can remember very clearly Philip arriving home from work late one Friday evening. And I used to hang my hat on the fact that he'd be home at five and he walked in late. And by that point I'd already put James to bed and I was so angry with him that I, I hit him, which I mean, I don't, you know, don't do that, but <laughs> I was so angry. I just hit my, hit my hands against him. And I said, just, just leave, just go. Like, if you don't want to be involved, don't be involved. And it was just me feeling completely spent and at the end of my tether because I'd done it you know, for the whole mm. day and mm. I'd had no help and no support on those days. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's interesting. There are a few things. One, going to work is so easy to do actually. And to, you know, when you've got a really long to-do list, which everybody has, when you've got the time to go and sit at a desk and make your way through that to-do list, mm. it's one thing. But when every time you try and get do one thing on the mm. list, your baby's crying or wakes up or isn't going down as easily as you mm. hoped he would or something like that. That's really, that's really challenging. And then, and it's fine if you do it one or two days, but when you're having to do that day in, day out, mm. that's quite tricky. But the other thing is going to work is you get to revisit your old self. Mm. And I think there's a huge, in fact, my physio said to me, that there's a grieving period when you become a mum that no mm. one talks about. And you're mm. actually grieving yourself before you had a baby because that mm. person's gone. And mm. that's that's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's, it's just they've gone and they're not coming back because you now are a mum and that does require changes in your life. You can't just go to the shop when you want to go to the shop. You can't mm -hmm. go and sit with your friends and have a bottle of wine and not yeah. have to worry about anything. Even if it's, I'm going to wake up with a headache tomorrow at 6am <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is. I think that has been really hard for me on a very shallow level, on a physical level, but also on a mental level as well. That I really underestimated that grieving period. And I really miss that person mm. and that life. I would never want to go back there mm. because that would mean I didn't have Max, mm. but 
there is a loss. And there's a guilt that you feel Mm -hmm. around that. You mentioned guilt. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, somebody asked me when I was in London, are you just loving it? Are you loving being a mum? And Mm -hmm. I sat there for a while and I thought, no, I Mm -hmm. I love Max. I love Max more than anything. And I would never, ever not want to be Max's mum. But I don't think I can actually honestly say that I love being mm. a mum. And mm. I really thought I would love being a mum. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's a huge thing that you're saying, because I think it's almost like, you know, forbidden ground. I think probably every mum who is listening is feeling exactly the same way that, you know, that you mourn that loss of who you were, you mourn your marriage. I mean, that pressure that comes into your marriage when you have children is just, nobody prepares you for that. You know, you, mm-hmm. how many nappies did you change today? Well, it's your turn to get up now. I did the last, you know, and you, you fight over stupid things. And when he wants to go and play golf, it's like, what? Like, when do I get to do something like that? You know? So yes, um, it's, I think people don't admit it. And I think what you're talking about is absolutely real. And I think for some moms, even there's a further resentment for, against the child as well. And there can be that ambivalence, which also doesn't make you a bad mom. It just is real. It's, you know, it's really, really hard and nobody talks about it. No. And I think that's the thing is then because nobody talks about it, you think it's just you. Mm. You know, one of the things I was saying to someone the other day is people would listen to this podcast and they'd think, God, everything's just going so fantastically Mm. for her. And, you know, it all seems so easy and wonderful. And she's always so happy on the Mm. podcast and that sort of thing. And you don't really talk about the, the stuff that comes with it. And I really do. I think any mum that anybody looks at who thinks, oh, they're loving it and they're having the best time and it's all wonderful, that mum's probably hiding a lot more mm. than a mum who's being a bit sort of, oh, there's been a bit yeah. of a tough yeah. day today. If you enjoy my podcast, I would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you The Honest Hour. Christina Mazurik is mum to two boys and a third little boy on the way. She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa since 2008 and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest Hour. That whole Brené Brown vulnerability talk is, mm. actually speaks to this as well. And, you know, I'll never forget when James was a baby, there was a very well-known pediatrician in Cape Town and people who live in South Africa will probably remember this, this is going back 20 years, who committed suicide. And she very carefully planned and plotted exactly how it would happen. Her baby was the same age as mine. And she asked her husband to take baby out and go and get them a coffee in the morning, Saturday morning. And she shot herself. And people could not believe it. I mean, she had everything. She had the lifestyle. She had the husband. She had the career. She had the new baby. And I think it was such a shock because I think that sometimes the people who've got the most 
perfect veneer are the people that are cracking the hardest underneath. And, and that goes for, for, I mean, I was certainly like that as well. I think a lot of moms thought that I had it all waxed, but inside it, it was hard, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think moms nowadays, thankfully, and, and I do think 20 years ago, people really didn't talk about this, but nowadays people can go on social media and say, listen, this is not, it's not all pretty. It's sometimes really, really mm-hmm. tough, but it is a conversation that ne- people need to have. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I'm really lucky. I have a, I have a very easy baby in the grand. I mean, no baby is easy, but mm, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he is a good, very good baby. Mm. I have a lot of help. My parents mm. are right here and I have a nanny two days a week and I have a very wonderful partner in it all. You know, Alex mm. is, is amazing and I find it a challenge. Mm. So, mm. yeah, and I, I can't even imagine what it must be like for so many people who mm. it's just them day in, day out. Mm. There's no support. They don't have their family nearby. Mm. I know people who have that and I just, I have the utmost respect mm. and mm. love for those people because mm. I think there's this, this challenge that, and because everybody, every mom in the world has been through it, mm. you know, you sort of think, well, I can't moan. Mm. There's so many people doing this in much worse circumstances circumstances, but it doesn't change the fact that your emotions are real and they're valid and it's really, really tough. Mm, Yeah. And I think the message in it is you've got to create safe space for people to be able to have these conversations. And if you never show your vulnerability, nobody else will either. So, you know, it's almost like taking your, your kind of, I call them the sisterhood of motherhood, you know, that that your, your, your group or your clan and actually being vulnerable because it takes one of you to say, shit guys, like, like I'm really like, I'm not coping this week or I'm teary before bath time every night, or I'm angry at my husband half the time. And I can't even articulate why, you know, it takes one person to say that, or like, like sex is really a like to think about you know, having sex again, you know, kind of six, even six months after the baby's born, I'd rather get some sleep actually, you know? So, <laughs> you know, so, so when you start to have these like really candid conversations in a, in a closed room with close friends, you'll find that everybody else comes out and goes, yep, that's exactly yeah. how I'm feeling too. I heard you know? a story about a couple who apparently they had, I think they had three kids and they'd both gone back to work and they used to just book a hotel room at lunchtime because the idea of having <laughs> sex anyway. at night yeah. was just not a chance. Not going to happen, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> No, look, it is. And and I think it's important to be real. I think it's, you know, and, and I think it is that vulnerability, number one. And then the second thing I was going to say is, and it doesn't happen very much anymore, or at least I don't see it, is mum shaming. And I think we went through a patch in the world in just after, you know, the early noughties kind of nearly 20 years ago where mums would slam each other. And luckily, I don't see much of that. Do you see much of that on social media or is it more gentle now? No, I definitely don't see, I definitely don't see on social media any mum shaming. What mm. I do see, and I have to really remind myself, is the picture perfect on social media. That's right. And people only post, you know, and, and mm. as I said earlier, there's there's this whole mental side, but there is a real physical mm. thing as well. I always really enjoyed my exercise and, mm. and that sort of thing. And I'm getting back into it now, but I see mums posting pictures and their figure, it looks like they've never had a baby. <laughs> how but then I think no I've got to remember there are filters Mm. there are Mm. things people can you can't trust what you're necessarily seeing on social Mm -hmm. media whether it's mental physical the perfect baby 
Mm. You know, there's no such thing. <laughs> no, it's not. It's all gritty. And anybody who tells you any differently is is, yeah. is covering it up. It is gritty. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's no mum shaming, but possibly shaming yourself because you think you're not doing as good a job as what you are seeing on social yeah. media, which is not the case. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, Cass, thank mm-hmm. you for sharing and sharing so candidly. I think you're in good company. And yeah, and it was just lovely to hear all about all the exciting things this week as well. Yes, and look forward to updating you with. I mean, it seems like every week there's just something major happening. I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't be able to think that every week there would be like such big changes. But I guess what's going to be fabulous is to be able to look back and listen to these podcasts and actually track his life, which is amazing. No, I I love it already. And when I listen back to them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about that. No, it's incredible journaling. It's wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing with us, Cass, and doing it so freely. All right, chat soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.